this evening, message two in our series, Five Smooth Stones. Five Smooth Stones. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I know that if we get what's being talked about tonight, and many who are listening have embraced this already, but if we all get it, it will change our lives. So come and speak to us, speak clearly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I, I think the most foundational thing I need to emphasize at the start tonight in terms of of living while living life at its fullest, uh, loving and living and leading well in your areas of responsibility, is that all of that is directly linked. All of that is directly linked to how much you understand that your understanding of the realm of the spirit, the spiritual realm of life is key to all of it. If you get the spiritual stuff right, the spiritual component of your life right, you get the spiritual principles of living well right, uh, your life will go well. If you get all the other stuff right, and ignore spiritual principles, you're going to be wondering, how can I be doing so many good things and everything seems to be going wrong? Getting the spiritual element of your life lined up is really, really important. So David bends down at the brook with Goliath yelling at him from across the valley, and he picks up five smooth stones for his slingshot. Five smooth stones for his slingshot. He didn't just grab any old stone. He grabbed five smooth stones. How did those stones get smooth? Well, the water of the creek, the water of the river, kept flowing over those stones year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and the water smoothed off all of the rough edges. The water smoothed off all of the rough edges. Smooth stones are how we win spiritual battles. But the only way you have those smooth stones in your life is if you're exposing yourself to the watering presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
and letting him knock off the rough edges. It's the smoothness, and I'll get to that in a minute, it's the smoothness of the stone that gives the stone velocity as it leaves the slingshot. This is the fourth city Donna and I have had the privilege of pastoring in. You guys got a much better deal than the first three cities. Uh, the stones of my life still have some rough edges, but believe you me, the stones are a lot smoother than they were when we started out in ministry 48 years ago. It's getting into the presence of God, letting life, the moving of the Spirit of God, the watering of his presence, uh, get rid of the rough edges that makes uh, spiritual life so much easier. So the longer I have led, the more I've recognized. I don't think I recognized this at all when I entered ministry. But the longer I have led, the more I have recognized that a huge part of the pastor's work is applying spiritual practices to his or her own life and encouraging the church to pra practice spiritual disciplines, spiritual routines, spiritual habits that make things go smoothly. And if we neglect those things and we think it's all about organizing this and organizing that and getting everything lined up so it looks really like it's going to fly, in the long run, there's still going to be a lot of trouble. This is spiritual work, and you're not going to have a giant conquering ministry unless, above all else, you're applying spiritual principles to your leadership and teaching your church how to live them out. And so these five smooth stones I'm talking about this last month of, of, uh, of leadership and preaching here is really talking about things that give us authority over the enemy, things that uh, help the church to advance. So this idea of slingshot and smooth stones to defeat the enemy, slingshot, smooth stones to defeat the enemy, was really a very common practice in Old Testament battles. Judges chapter 20 and verse number 16. This is the battle of Israel with the tribe of Benjamin. In the tribe of Benjamin, there were seven chosen men who were left-handed. I don't know the significance of the left-handed part, but 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. 
I mean, if you were uh, the tribe of Israel, you were very familiar with slingshots. And apparently if you were left-handed, you were very good at it. And you could shoot at a hair and not miss. Now, what's so big about a little stone going out of a slingshot? Well, I was researching that uh, a bit this week after I was challenged by one of the gentlemen at North Point after service last Sunday evening. And uh, I came across an article, uh, Babylon, uh, Mesopotamia, and uh, the beginning of civilization. This is what I read. A sling works by increasing the effective length of a stone thrower's arm. Modern cricket bowlers or baseball pitchers can achieve maximum ball velocities of over 150 kilometers per hour. A slingshot as long again as the thrower's arm will double the projectile's speed, making the velocity of the bullet when it leaves the sling nearly, nearly 100 meters per second, or if you want to do the math from red, 300 kilometers per hour. These uh, stones just flew off the slingshot and they were used to defeat the enemy. They were used to defeat the enemy. So tonight we continue looking at uh, these stones. I want to go back to the first stone from last weekend just a little bit. I talked about the first smooth stone that God has made real in my life is the church needs to be a grace dispensing church. Church needs to be a grace dispensing church. That is true in the macro but it's also true in the micro. In other words, it's true in the life of the church, but it needs to be true in the individuals of the church who make up the bigger church. So we talked about what does a grace dispensing church look like? Well, the grace dispensing church becomes a hospital for sinners, not a runway for seasoned models. We're not being the church if we're really aiming to have this group of, of people who we can uh, showcase every service because they have arrived at some absolutely perfect state. That is not the purpose of the church. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, seek and save sinners. Number two, it becomes a place where love runs so deep and wide that sin is covered. And thirdly, each person is given the freedom to studiously and prayerfully make up their own mind about the white spaces in the Bible. And there are all kinds of things that are, we've made decisions on about white spaces. Uh, and I think the church fortunately has moved away from them, but we've got, we've got positions on lipstick, we've got uh, positions on wearing hats in church. Uh, the church I grew up in, women were not supposed to dye their hair. Uh, the list went on and on and on. Uh, and uh, I told the story about my sister-in-law who was kicked out of the choir because she wore earrings. 
these are things that you're really looking and interpreting the white space in the Bible and figuring out what you're going to do about it, but it's white space conclusions. I uh, almost lost Donna after we'd been dating for about uh, two months. She had the audacity to show up in church wearing big red earrings. And I, at that point in my life, had a bad case of legalism, and I dealt with her. And she dealt with me the way Joyce dealt with her. My sister-in-law dealt with uh, her pastor. She walked away from me, and she walked away quickly, and she did not answer the phone for five days. And rightfully so. A, my relationship wasn't established enough to really be able to have that kind of conversation, but truthfully, I was being uh, a legalistic snob. The church has to be free from that if we're going to be effective friends. Donna wears earrings, and then she, under the bad influence of a group of ladies from this church, goes to India and comes back with a nose ring. Uh, terrible things happen when you lower the standard, but what do you do? You've got to let people uh, read between the lines. I want to add two other things about a grace dispensing church before I get on to smooth stone too. So point number four, if you're in a grace dispensing church, it'll sometimes be accused of being easy on sin. If nobody ever says about the neighborhood church, we're too easy on sin, we're not preaching the gospel and we're not practicing grace. It's really that simple. If everybody thinks, boy, this church has got the rules down well and practicing them perfectly, we're, we may be holy, but it's a holiness rooted in legalism. And it's a runway for saints and not a hospital for hurting people. Sometimes... Well, I'll say that later. Let me, re let me read uh, a verse out of uh, Luke about Jesus. This is what happened to Jesus. The Son of Man has come. This is what the Pharisees uh, said about him. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Or Jesus is talking about what the Pharisees say about him. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was accused of hanging out with the wrong people and not living at the standard he should have been living. And friends, if you're going to care for hurting people and you're going to care for sinners, sometimes you're going to be accused of being sinful. And if the church has never said about it that it's too easy on sin, uh, it's not a grace-dispensing organization. It's not being Jesus in the world. Uh, so a few months ago, a couple of months ago, I got a phone call from international office in uh, Mississauga. And they, they said, uh, Pastor John, the general executive has, 
has chosen you to be the chair of a committee that is going to uh, uh, to work through an issue where I think we haven't been shown enough grace. And I probably spoke up a few too many times about it in the eight years I was on the executive. So now I'm trying to retire and they're making me the chair of this committee. And I said uh, to the gentleman I was talking to, I, do we really want to make any change here? And he said, I, I guess we'll find out. But, and I'll never forget this line. He said, but I think sometimes as Pentecostals, we've worked harder at being holier than even Jesus was. Jesus was a glutton, was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. If we're, if we're really getting the gospel, we're going to be accused as well of uh, maybe being too easy on sin. And, and the fifth point... So I thought this week, I, I, that list was not complete enough, so forgive me for trying to preach two sermons in one night. But uh, this will also happen in a grace-dispensing church. Some people will pervert the message of grace. If you're going to preach grace, some people are going to pervert it. Romans chapter uh, 5, and then rolling over to chapter 6, the first two verses. The law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So the problem is when you preach grace, there are going to be some people who say, well, I can do whatever I want because uh, it just gives God an opportunity to practice this wonderful message of grace more I sin, the more grace gets to abound. No big, it's a perversion of grace. And the church that preaches grace is going to have some people, unfortunately, who, who pervert it. They say, yeah, that's why we got to make sure Pastor Louie, when he takes over, he stops this grace nonsense because people are perverting it, perverting the gospel. Well, that's as ridiculous as saying, um, I'm never ever going to use any money or spend any money because there's some counterfeits out there, you know. That's how ridiculous it is. You stick to the truth and you don't let the counterfeits of the, that the enemy would want to establish uh, drive you away from it. You stick to the truth. Um, so just a little picture here of where we're really supposed to be. Uh, we're supposed to walk on that straight road, drive our lives on the straight road. It's called liberty. 
the fastest way to get to that building at the end of that picture is to stay on that road. If you want to get in those ditches and try to get there, you might eventually get there, but it's going to be a painful, a painful journey. The fastest and most efficient way, uh, most liberating, freest way to live your Christian life is in liberty. That's why Paul says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free, and be not entangled again, again in the yoke of bondage. There's two places where bondages happen, though, and they're both ditches, and they'll both slow you down terrible. And the first ditch, uh, button place, is legalism. Donna, if you're wearing those red earrings, uh, we're done. And I was shocked when she took me up on the offer. There's a legalism that creeps into the church that prevents people from walking in the freedom of Christ. And the other ditch is lawlessness, where anything goes. Just do what I want to do. I'm free in Jesus. You don't want to be in either place. You want the message of grace to bring liberty into your life. And true grace is always marked by liberty and uh, stays out of the ditches of legalism and uh, and lawlessness. So, ready for smooth stone too? I'll talk fairly quickly. Uh, smooth stone number two is generosity. Generosity. First Timothy chapter six and verse seven. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. I want you to understand this and get it into your heart clearly. When you came into this world, you came into this world buck naked. Without a wallet in your hand. You came into this world with nothing. That's where life started. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me all this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. You came into this world with nothing all of you've made some progress since then my eyes tell me that you've got a few things and some of us have a lot of things but where did that come from where did that come from it's not your power and the mighty your hand that has brought accumulation and wealth into your life the only reason you have anything is because of what the Lord has done. So remember the Lord your God. It is him who has blessed you. It is him. So any blessing we have 
is a result of what the Father has done. James chapter 1 and verse number 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no uh, variation or shadow due to change. We came into the world with nothing, and anything we have, friends, anything we have is a gift from the Father. Anything we have is a gift from the Father. So now, and I'm asking for 100% participation. Would you stand? Worship band is going to lead us. And as they lead us, uh, my lovely assistants, uh, Gabriel, we will not call him Gabriella, uh, Gabriel will help me here. And then we're going to go to the other side, ready straight up. You passed. We got a little bit of neatening up here to do before we go to the other side. That's good enough. I'll meet you over there. I want all of you, but we'll use this side too, and use both sides of the table so this goes as quickly as possible. I want all of you to go get one pile of dimes. Well, uh, don't ever say the church never gave you anything. You didn't have these dimes when you came into this church tonight. You came into this world, you came into the church, buck, into the world, not the church, I hope you came into the world, buck, <laughs> buck naked. You've got something now in your hands that you didn't come into church with. Now the challenge, and, and it's a challenge in life as well, is how you handle what God gives you. How you handle what God gives you determines the health of your life. How you handle what God gives you determines the health of your life. And how the church handles what God gives it determines the health of the church. Everything we have has come from him. Everything we have is a gift from him. So we need to learn how to handle the smooth stones. I, I see the smooth stones as, as spiritual weapons that God gives us to defeat the enemy. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm not willing to not be truthful to do that. And I think one of the problems when it comes to spiritual warfare is the Pentecostal charismatic community tends to think the way we do spiritual warfare 
is we put on this charismatic shake and all shake a little bit and then we repeat in the name of Jesus at least four times. That's really important too. We shake and say in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And we think that's spiritual warfare. The truth of the matter is the principles you build into your life are the real points of spiritual warfare. The principles you build into your life are the real principles of spiritual warfare. And you can ignore the principles and shake and say in the name of Jesus as many times as you want, things are still gonna be really, really hard for you. the principles, the smooth stones from God's word that you build into your life that will bring you a place of liberty and a place of freedom. Uh, so the second principle I, I want to share with you tonight is generosity. And under the, under the understanding that generosity crushes the enemy, Generosity crushes the enemy. Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, bring the full tithes into the storehouse. I will rebuke the devourer for you. Generosity rebukes the devourer. Uh, What's a tithe? A tithe is a tenth. A tithe is a tenth. Friends, I think we don't remember <laughs> enough that absolutely everything we have in life has come from God. I don't think we remember that. And then God says to us, what I want you to do is just give me a dime. Oh, I don't want to do that. He gave you the 10 dimes to start with. We give God his dime. And it's a spiritual principle that when you do that, there's spiritual warfare that God begins to do on your behalf and he rebukes the devourer. Uh, I've told stories over and over and over again for 22 years. I promised you last weekend I wouldn't give you a lot of new stories, but I think it was my eighth or ninth birthday, first time in my life I held paper money in my hand. Newbrook, Alberta, what looked like a really old lady 
found out that it was my birthday. And she came up to me and said, Johnny, remember what Edgar did in the video? He was remembering this story because I said, don't anyone ever call me Johnny. Uh, but he called me Johnny, remembering the story. She said, Johnny, happy birthday, gave me a handshake with this money in it. And I had, for the first time in my life, paper money in my hand. We're driving back to Calgary, uh, which was about a four and a half hour drive from Newbrook and all excited about the $5 I had, I was pretty sure I could go buy my first house when we got back to Calgary. I mean, I felt really, really, really rich. Uh, and then mom broke the news to me, first I'd ever heard of it. Well, we're, we're Christians, John, and we believe that we should give back to God when he blesses us. So on Sunday, you need to give God, uh, you've got 50 dimes there. She didn't say this, but you need to give God back five of those dimes. And I started to cry. <laughs> Not only did I have a mean mom, I had a mean God. <laughs> but I practiced it. And I've been practicing it other than for six months in my life, consistently since I was eight or nine years of age. When Don and I were uh, married about four months, and there's a step in between here, I won't tell the story tonight, but uh, we decided to give 20% of the money that came into our home back to God. And now my work days are almost over. And I can say to you, God's looked after our home and he's met our needs. And I'm confident that's not gonna change come April 1st. Because when you put God first, he rebukes the devourer. Second principle, generosity crushes the enemy. Number two, it opens the windows of heaven in blessing. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse. Put me to a test. This is the only time in Scripture where God says, test me. Find out if I'm for real. This is the only time. He says, the way you find out if I'm for real is test me with your money. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, see if I'm not going to bless you when you, when you make it your practice to give God his dime. Test me, find out. I'll open the windows of heaven in, in blessing. Now here, well, the way I get blessed is I shake and I say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of, in the name of, in the name of. You can say that as much as you want. It's practicing the principles of God's word 
that will open the windows of heaven and you're the one who decides how wide those windows are going to be open generosity crushes the enemy number three it'll cause others to recognize God's blessing on your life I uh, had coffee with coffee and a muffin with one of the guys from our church this week and and I said there's hardly ever a week that goes by when I don't thank the Father for bringing us to Saskatoon and giving us the privilege to lead this church for over two decades. We have been deeply blessed to lead a very, very kind, kind, kind church. We feel it's an act of God's kindness and God's blessing. I feel it's a blessing to be one of ten, one of ten ministers who starts out in the gospel as actually finished, finishing his career a minister of the gospel. It's God's blessing and God's kindness. But we went through a tough time, and sometimes the tough times are part of the smoothing out process, and uh, cash flow wasn't, this is the only time in all of our married life when cash flow was a little bit iffy. And I decided the smartest thing for me to do was help God out a bit. And I stopped tithing. The deal I had with him was I would just decide every service how much I was going to give. If we seemed to have a little more in the bank account, I'd throw in 50 bucks if... I had next to nothing, I'd throw in five. And I just did this for about four or five months in a row. And then I came home one evening and I was hoeing the flower garden at the front of our house in Regina. And, uh, and God said to me, clear as nothing. And one of the ways I know God's speaking is often it's, so out of the blue, I know it's him because I wasn't thinking about God at all right there. And I was thinking about hoeing the flowers, hoeing the garden. And uh, God said, I'll show you what happens when you don't tithe. When I don't give God his. Time, I'll show you what happens. Okay, I finished hoeing, went in. Uh, next day, I'm driving to work, and I, uh, no, two nights, next night, I get home from work. And uh, I often got home a little later uh, than Donna wanted to feed the boys, so supper was in the microwave. I was tired, so I put on my housecoat, my pajamas, uh, grabbed the newspaper, uh, heated the food, started to eat it, and Evan, who 
like many oldest children, uh, kind of felt some responsibility to be the family cop, came in and said, Dad, you won't believe what Kyle just did. Kyle was our second oldest son. Come see. So I went outside. Kyle had taken a hockey stick. Our house always had lots of hockey sticks. He'd taken the end of it and smashed uh, all the headlights on our Valiant, there were four of them, and smashed the headlights on our Honda. And I said, Kyle, what did you do that for? Probably in that tone. And he said, I, 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 I don't know, Dad. <laughs> I found a broom and we swept it up and I went back in the house, reheated the food sat down to eat, probably got about five mouthfuls in, and Evan comes in again, and he says, e uh, Dad, if you thought what Kyle did was bad, come see what Kent did. <laughs> I went outside, and Kent had somehow with his friends hopped into our Honda, our driveway had a slope, somehow they figured out how to get it in neutral his friends had pushed it rolled it down the driveway across the street into my neighbor's car i went over there and uh, said what happened and she started to cry yeah so i had a crying kyle and now i got crying neighbor she said oh, i just got the car out of the body shop today <laughs> phoned the police and spent about half an hour reporting my four-year-old son's first automobile accident in the back of the cruiser in front of my house. Now, that's the night after I'll show you. I'm going to work the next day in the Honda with the bash smashed up headlights, and I come to a red light in Regina and never understand how we drive. Sometimes there were about 15 cars in the a left lane, none in the right. I went to the right, and I was at the front of the line. The light turned green. I went, got out in front of all of them, except there was a guy in a blue uniform there, and it was a school zone. Second time in less than... Uh, 12 hours I was in the back seat of a cruiser. And I'm sitting there and praying they don't notice the missing headlights and praying they wouldn't ask me what I do for a living. And I'm sitting in the back seat and uh, God says, I told you I'd show you. I told you I'd show you. And that weekend, I got back to giving God two dimes. I believe the decision Don and I made to live as generously as we believed we could has brought a blessing on our life. Number four, it'll keep your heart focused on eternal things. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Do you want your heart to be in the right place? Do you really want your heart to be in the right place? Then you gotta start putting your treasure in the right place. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Generosity crushes the enemy. Generosity crushes the enemy. Worship band's coming along. I'm inviting all of you to stand. And uh, we're going to close with a song. But before we close, I'm inviting all of you to make a walk to the altar <laughs> and give God his dime. Leave with 90 cents. Leave richer than you came. This money will go to our missions budget. But I want you to leave here remembering a walk to get something you didn't have. And I want you to leave here remembering that you gave God his time. If you practice this principle faithfully and regularly, and I'm sure we could take an hour for testimonies now to, to have people tell you this is actually true. It's one of the things you do to crush the enemy in your life. And somehow when you do it, somehow when you do it, I don't get it. I don't know how we've lived off of less of our paycheck than most people. And I think probably live better than most. I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. But it's God's way. It's God's work. It's God's blessing. So as we conclude in a song, come, 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 and give God his, God his dime, and uh, we'll forward it to missions. God bless you as you give. Thank you.